0: If you'd like to take out your phone and follow along with the text, you're welcome to. Otherwise, I'm going to read it right now. We're we're at the end of the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul closes up his letter to the Ephesians by talking about spiritual warfare. So he doesn't end on like this this light, gentle note. Spiritual warfare. Here's what he says. Chapter 6, beginning with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to, t- to stand your ground. And after you have done everything finally to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate breastplate of dark righteousness excuse me, in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. And pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. This is God's word, and that's the end of Ephesians. And there's immediately, especially when we're in public, probably two red flags that go up when you read a text like this. Two big red flags. Number one, we're talking about the reality of the devil. So... Um, Americans, generally speaking, don't think about the spirit realm all that much. We don't think about demonic activity except for maybe like once a year in October when we watch movies with little girls whose heads spin around and they're vomiting out. That's what Americans think of demons. But you know what? If you went to a different culture, some of you have spent time in different cultures. If you went to Latin America or Africa or uh, Asia, you would know that they're way more open to the spirit realm Than a lot of us Americans are and so let's just maybe for a second point out the possibility that maybe we're a little bit like spiritually repressive maybe we're a little bit closed when it comes to thinking about the spirit realm Uh, the second thing that I would say then second major red flag is the fact that this sounds a little bit like religious militarism so like when you start talking about putting on a helmet and breastplate and shield and sword and stuff like that people get real uncomfortable real quick Because it sounds like religious militarism, and that's hurt people, many people over the years, right? Um, There's a famous hymn, Onward, Christian Soldier. We have it in our hymnals. Uh, The first stanza of it goes, Onward, Christian Soldiers Marching As to War. With the cross of Jesus going on before, Christ the royal master leads against the foe. Forward into battle, see his banners go. So, you know, with the right context, like spiritual context and... um, you know, fighting temptations, that kind of warfare, you can sing it to the glory of God. But actually in the 80s, it started dropping out of hymnals in different churches and denominations across the country because Christians started thinking of it in terms of like military activity, militant activity, right? Um, And that whole thing of people trying to advance their personal agendas, unlike Jesus, by the way, who tells his disciples to put down their swords. But the idea of religious people picking up swords and whatever else to advance their personal causes by force that scares people rightfully so and so we get really uncomfortable when we hear a little bit of language like this but here's what I'm gonna say I'm gonna challenge you tonight on this despite any kind of social red flags think about it like this if we as a ministry want to be a blessing to our neighborhood to our community to our city to what extent do you think programs alone can do that in other words if we just build a youth center On a property do you think all the problems of our youth will go away Uh, if we can crack the nut of affordable housing in Milwaukee which is a huge deal if we can figure that out do you think all the financial problems of the city will go away for that matter maybe even a little closer to home if we can give every kid in Milwaukee a high-quality education do all the kids turn out great now, I'm not saying none of those things is important. They're all important. They're all necessary. And we actually spend a lot of time and energy and resources and conversations about those things all the time on like a daily basis around here. Here's what I'm saying. What the Bible is saying, if the Bible is right about spiritual warfare, and it is, do you seriously think that our well-laid out buildings and our programming programs stand a chance against an army of demons? The answer is no, of course not. Um, And therefore, we're so in over our heads by ourselves. Completely over our heads. Paul is saying, unless you properly identify who the enemy actually is, unless you, let me put it like this, I'll say this a couple times tonight, unless you call demons demons, you know what you're going to do? You're going to demonize everything and everyone else. People groups, political groups, people who are culturally different from you. If you don't actually demonize demons, you're going to demonize someone or something else. And two things happen then. You hurt other people and you're going to lose the real battle because you're fighting the wrong battle. And so tonight we're going to break teaching into just two points, okay? We're going to say, what's the real struggle here? And what's the real solution or the real savior? What's the real struggle? What's the real savior? First of all, real struggle Uh, Paul says it very simply in verse 12. He says, our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul is saying that evil has a supernatural and transcendent quality about it. And it isn't as though Paul never actually struggles against flesh and blood. Remember, uh, where is Paul writing this from? Prison. Paul got beat up a lot. Paul got stoned. Paul got flogged. Paul was bloodied regularly by flesh and blood. But he says, my struggle isn't actually against the flesh and blood. There is an underlying sinister force that's behind all of it. Yeah, are human agents complicit with some of that evil? Yeah, but let's name, let's name the real names. Let's identify the real enemies. It's not the people. It's the people that the real enemy deceives along the way. So that's the battle that we fight. Um, put it like this. If you look at the problems of the world, war and injustice and poverty and racism and disease and and, and mental illness, yes, are are human agents ever complicit with the evil? Yeah, but but we're going to demonize the wrong group, the wrong person, the wrong ideology, unless we understand that underneath it all is an army of demons. Uh, And then I think at that point, Satan probably just sits and laughs at us as we have our little culture wars for stuff that doesn't actually matter that much um and you know i think we've actually seen this play out in human history pretty well if you go back 50 75 100 years stuff like that the kind of stuff that makes the news um i I think there was a time in western culture where we thought if we just educate people correctly if we just get people to appreciate culture more all the problems all the violence will go away and harmony will exist. And then stuff in the 20th century like World War II happened. And stuff in World War II happened like uh, the Final Solution and the Holocaust. And you know, what was really interesting is where it happened. It happened in a culture that at the time was considered the most educated, most civilized culture on the planet. Did they figure out racism because they were smart? No, so the problem isn't just a lack of education. Think about another example. In, in the 20th century, Marxism had a rise in part of the world. In fact, even today, Marxism, interestingly enough, is still kind of on the rise in some sectors. Why? Because we thought, you know what? It's the cultural elites, the capitalists that have all the wealth. They're the cause of all the problems. And if we just shift the power from their hands into what was called the proletariat, the working class, then we'll get rid of all the oppression. And so what did they do? They got the hands, the power into the working class, and they found out the working class is every bit as oppressive as the cultural elites. See, what that means is the, stu- the kind of stuff that makes news, it's so superficial. What trends on Twitter is so superficial. It's a demonizing of non-demons. Demonize the demons. Your, flat, your, your struggle is not against flesh and blood. Naturalistic causes like physiological diagnoses and broken social systems and and human ignorance. I'm not saying they're not real things. They're real things. I'm saying they're not the root cause of all the problems. The root cause of all the problems is the spiritual forces that govern a fallen world. And a false diagnosis, what it does is it just creates more evil, it creates more polarization, it creates more demonizing of other people groups. So the summary then, the first point here is, look, if you want to change the world, if you want to improve the community, and, you know, I think we do, worry less about what's on the news. Get less angry at people. Get more angry at Satan. Um, yes, does he use human agents? Yes, of course he does, but he's not the underlying cause. They're not the underlying cause. So we need to treat them differently than just the enemy. Um, To figure out why, it's really interesting. If you just look at the names of Satan, so two names that we commonly use, Satan and devil. And those two names tell you everything about who your target is in life and what his methodology generally is. You know what the name Satan actually means? It's enemy, adversary. If you want to know who your life enemy is, that's it. It's Satan. And you know what his methodology is? That's his other name, the devil. You know what devil means? It literally means accuser, slanderer, liar. It's amazing how Satan has gotten us to think about demons and Satan today. What, what really, so look, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, you see Satan tempting Adam and Eve. What does it look like? Do you notice he doesn't actually possess them? He just lies to them, and they buy it. They totally buy it. Um, Not a single person who's sitting here tonight will ever have to worry about the nonsense that you see in Halloween movies. And yet every single person here on every single day of your life should be concerned about what Satan is currently convincing you to believe about your identity, about your value, about what actually matters in life, about your accomplishments and what they technically mean and about your failures and what they technically mean in your life too. These are the things we call potentially our idols. And uh, Satan is constantly putting bad thoughts into our head about such things. You notice, again, in the garden, Satan doesn't strike Adam and Eve. When When the serpent comes at Adam and Eve, when the serpent comes at you in your life, he doesn't leave bite marks on your leg. He sneaks wrong thoughts into your head. And he sneaks Ron loves into your heart. Have you ever noticed that in the Garden of Eden, the snake didn't actually bite Adam and Eve? You know what's weird about that is because that's what we're afraid of with snakes, isn't it? I don't want to be around snakes because I don't want to get bit by a snake. The snake in the garden never actually bit Adam and Eve. Now, what that tells you, it's kind of a metaphor for life. The things that you think are actually scary, the things that you think can actually hurt you, the flesh and blood stuff, can't actually hurt you. What can actually hurt you? I've never heard of anyone in my entire life who died from an actual snake bite. If people die from a snake, they die from its venom. And you know what? Venom actually works in two different ways. There's two different types of venom, so far as I understand. There's a hematoxic venom, and there's a neurotoxic venom. Hematoxic venom is like... Uh, like rattlesnakes have hemotoxic venom. It, it affects your blood. And neurotoxic venom is like cobras. It affects your nervous system, like your brain. In other words, this is, this is God's metaphor for how Satan works on you. When Satan comes after you, the stuff that you worry about, the, the flesh wounds, the bite marks, you shouldn't actually be worried about. You should be worried that he's influencing your blood, your heart. You should be worried that he's influencing your mind, your thoughts. That's the real struggle. It's not the flesh wounds. It's the stuff that he does on the inside of you it gets you to believe and feel, okay? So that's a real struggle. Second part is what's the real savior then? Okay, so what we've said so far is the Bible says the serpent is like the subtlest beast on earth. Evil never comes obviously and overtly. It always comes uh, in like a complicated way in where it's intertwined with like good things. In life, and when Satan comes after you, he never comes with a pitchfork and horns. You know why? This is real obvious. If Satan came after you with a pitchfork and horns, for that matter, if any human being or anything came after you with a pitchfork and horns, you know what you would do? You would run in the opposite direction crying out for God. You would run directly into his arms. Satan knows that, so he doesn't tempt you that way. So when Satan, who is a beautiful fallen angel, comes and tempts you, you know what he does? He comes at you like a promotion at your job that is going to pay you so much more. It's also going to require that you travel a whole lot more. So it's less time with your family, less time with your church, and less time in God's word. And when Satan, who is this beautiful fallen angel, comes at you, sometimes he comes like a beautiful man and and woman who's into you. And they are so far out of your league. And the only catch, not a Christian, not interested, When Satan comes after you, he is going to come potentially like the absence of restrictions that feels like freedom and it feels like liberation. It's actually just a lack of accountability and a lack of responsibility. When Satan, who is a beautiful fallen angel, comes after you, it feels like self-righteous rationalization that convinces you, no one knows my struggles. I have the hardest job in the world. No one knows where I'm really coming from. I totally pity myself and God will understand this one little vice that I have that I need to get by. When Satan comes after you, he comes like this intoxicating moment when you feel like everybody actually likes you for once. Social media approves you, everybody likes you, and you feel like, maybe I do finally have this whole world figured out. I'll tell you what, let me make it a little bit more personal. Uh, when, I've thought about this for years. When Satan comes after me, It's one of two ways that I'm aware that, I mean, it could be a different way too, but I know he's going to come at me in one of two ways. Number one, he's going to come at me with an externally successful church. Maybe a book deal, I don't know. (laughs) Extra comfort. So much effectiveness that I no longer feel like I'm dependent on the grace of God. That's one possibility. The other possibility, I've told all of you about my struggles with, you know, anxiety and depression before. It's also possible that he's going to come at me where I feel like such a failure, with so much shame and embarrassment that I feel like I can't actually get out of bed in the morning because I've forgotten that my competence and my accomplishments are not my righteousness. The blood of Jesus Christ alone, that's my righteousness. So that's, that's me. What about you, though? Satan comes at you, do you you understand? Are you prepared? Are you dressed for battle? Do you know what he's going to come at you with? Uh, Remember, it's always personal deception. Satan doesn't know everything. He can't do everything, but he's just a really good psychologist, a really good sociologist. And he studies your behaviors a lot. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Satan assigns a specific demon that knows your weaknesses really well and goes right after that. I wouldn't be surprised if Satan knows the vulnerabilities of Milwaukee and sends a specific demon to go right after that. What does Paul say we should do? What's the hope? It's all right there in verse 10. In verse 10 he says, Be strong in the Lord and in his, in his mighty power. You notice this is super important. He doesn't say get strong. He doesn't say become strong. He says be strong In the Lord, be strong in Jesus, be strong in his mighty power. See, what that is, is that's the difference between religion and the gospel. Religion, religion is about personal empowerment. The gospel is about personal surrender. He doesn't say, get, get, become more powerful than Satan. Get smarter than Satan. No, it's never going to work. Just tap into the power of Christ. Tap into the wisdom of Jesus Christ. See, if Jesus just gave us a moral code... And said, do this and you will become real powerful and you'll be successful. you you and I would fail at that. And actually, if that was the case, it would be so stressful that your and my lives would be characterized by things like fear and pride and guilt and shame and anger and condescension and bitterness. And I'll tell you what, if your life is currently characterized by those things, should I read them again real quick? Fear and guilt and shame anger and bitterness and condescension, if your life is characterized by those things right now, what that tells you is your heart is being run more by religion than it is by the gospel of Jesus. And when he does that, look, when, it, when Satan tricks us like that, it causes us to look at other people who are better than us in some way and feel inferior. And it causes us to look at people who are worse than us in some way and feel, it, feel superior. Thank God Jesus didn't send us a moral code. Thank God Jesus sent us himself. And when he sent us himself, see, he didn't come and flex his power when he came to earth. He came and he gave up his power. And he came and he gave up his life. And because Jesus didn't operate like the flesh, Jesus operated by the spirit of God, three incredible things happened for the world. First one is when he went to the cross and empty tomb, all of our sins are taken away, all of our insecurities, all of our mistakes, all of our infractions. The second thing he did is he gifted us his perfect life, all of his righteousness, so that right now when God looks at us through the lens of Jesus Christ, he sees a perfectly righteous child. And he also sends his spirit to, as time goes on, make us eternally perfect. The third thing that Jesus did at the cross and tomb as he crushed the serpent's head. What that means is, look, he can still bite you, but he can't get his venom in anymore. So you don't have any reason to live in fear. You don't have to be a slave to him and live afraid anymore because, you know, ultimately, his, he can bite you, but his, his poison can't kill you. Um, Christians. Christians don't go on crusades. Christians bear crosses for other people because that's what Jesus ultimately did for us. And so what Paul says finally here is just take up the armor of Christ. What that means, what that means is if Jesus already won the cosmic war, you and I can have the energy to get up daily out of bed and face our spiritual battles. Those are not military battles, though Christians can certainly serve in the military. Those are not political battles. Primarily, Though Christians can serve in politics. And those are not primarily culture wars, although, you know, if you're living uh, with Christ as your light and you're a light to the world, there certainly is influence attached to that. Those are spiritual battles. Jesus rose victorious. Jesus won the ultimate war, and his victory is our victory. So get up daily, not in your power. Get up daily in his mighty power and fight the demons when you lay your life down for the humans. Let's close with prayer. Lord Jesus, the things that our flesh fears, it can't really hurt us. Every single person here tonight is afraid of something right now that can't hurt them. Help us to tap into your mighty power. Help us concern ourselves with spiritual battles, knowing that you have ultimately already won the war. We ask this, Jesus, for the glory of your name. Amen.